It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at WRTFM.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places. Hello, everybody, and welcome. You're listening to A Public Affair. It's Wednesday, so that means you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. And a reminder, you are listening to A Public Affair, but it is on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Volunteer-powered, listener-sponsored community radio. We are so glad that you have joined us today. We have a great conversation happening. You know, Coming up in the next year, 2024, is a big year for democracy in America. What's going to happen? Is the presidential election going to look similar to what happened in 2020, or is it going to be different? There's a lot. In 2019, the Wisconsin State Senate, the Republican-controlled Wisconsin State Senate, unanimously confirmed Megan Wolf to serve as the head of the Wisconsin State Elections Commission. Megan's term comes to an end on July 1st, 2023, just the end of this month. And a lot has happened, of course, since she was appointed in 2019, specifically the 2020 presidential election where election deniers falsely claimed conspiracy theories and that the election was rigged and that Donald Trump should have won the uh, Wisconsin state election. All of that, of course, has been proven false, but still had quite lingering impacts. And we're going to talk today about um, the renomination, the possible renomination of Megan Wolf and what exactly is happening with the Wisconsin Elections Commission and why it matters. Uh, ProPublica wrote an amazing article about um, what's going on with uh, the the fate of Megan Wolf and the author of that article is Megan O'Matz. She is a reporter with ProPublica, um, where she covers issues about Wisconsin. Before that, she was a reporter for more than 20 years in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And it's really wonderful to have her. Hello. Welcome, Megan. Hi. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. It's great to have you. So can we start a little bit, uh, a sort of rewind of what is the Wisconsin Alethic uh, uh, let's get the name right. Wisconsin Elections Commission. What do they do and why are they important? Well, if you think about our election system, um, the legislature makes election laws and they are very vast. There's dozens of pages and statutes devoted to election law. And of course, you have court rulings, too. So the Wisconsin Elections Commission serves as an administrative agency, which basically helps communicate with um, over uh, 1,900 municipal and county clerks in this state that carry out elections. So you can imagine what a vast task it is understanding the laws, just learning about the laws, getting training, understanding court rulings. So this administrative agency functions um you know, as a a go-between, basically, to distribute information to all these local clerks who, um, you know, are ordinary people in our communities that are uh, municipal officials carrying out our elections. Um, This commission is made up of, uh, it's bipartisan, so there are three Republicans and three Democrats who are appointed by the governor and by lawmakers to serve on this commission. And now the woman that yeah, we're go ahead. Yeah. The woman that we're talking about is basically the bureaucrat who is the administrator of this commission. So she um she carries out the orders of the six members, the three Republicans and the three Democrats, who um take votes and set policy and decide uh how they're gonna communicate with the clerks, what they're gonna communicate, um, and basically help regulate this. So she is an administrator, uh, the chief bureaucrat, um, if you if you want to think of it that way, of the commission. And I'd love, I really appreciate sort of outlining this because this is 
what government officials do. You know, there's so many people beyond the elected officials that work in government whose job is really to administer the law, not to write it, but to make sure it is carried out. And some of the things that the Wisconsin Elections Commission oversees, like I remember conversations, especially during the 2020 election, because the pandemic was happening, conversations about the voting process. Can there be drop boxes? Can there be, you know, mail-in ballots? Can there be, you know, things that happened in nursing homes, things that happened with staffing? What, what are some of the issues um, that you recall coming up with the Elections Commission? Yes, it's exactly those kinds of things. I mean, this was such an unusual set of circumstances here, trying to carry out an election in the midst of a global pandemic, which the first elections were only really a month after we had really come to understand the scope of this. So the pandemic, sort of all those lockdowns started happening in March 2020, and Wisconsin had a primary in April 2020. So this commission was trying to deal with how to safely carry out an election when you can think of, uh, you don't want to go inside a closed room with a lot of people. The uh, poll workers didn't want to come to work. No one knew how deadly and serious this was. I mean, well, we knew it was uh, very serious and uh, contagious and all. So, so yes, they were working with a very difficult set of circumstances and they were trying to juggle how to keep people safe while at the same time conducting an election. And um, it ended up that the Republicans, some Republicans mostly got uh, very upset with uh, some of these accommodations, which involved nursing homes, which involved grants, um, to local uh, municipal clerks to carry out elections, which involved drop boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I want to, before we get into the details of um, Megan Wolf, I want to do a little more history. This commission, the Wisconsin Elections Commission, was created in 2015. And previous to that, um, it was a nonpartisan board that was made up of retired judges, so not individuals. Uh, that were appointed specifically as Republicans or by Republicans and by Democrats of 50-50. And there was an intentional effort to switch, to make this a, instead of a nonpartisan board, a bipartisan board, acknowledging sort of that politics are part of the process and let's, you know, have individuals with political leanings on the board. Um, on the yes, commission. And your, your, your listeners might remember that, prior agency, it was called the Government Accountability Board. Yes, and GAB. It, it really was held up as a, a model of election administration in the country. As you mentioned, it was made up of uh, retired judges. Um, but the Republicans believed that the um, that the, the board or the staff that the board was, was treating the Republicans unfairly. And um, a lot of that stemmed from, if you remember that investigation of Governor Scott Walker mm, and the John the, Doe uh, investigation. So, investigation. Yeah. so after that, the Republicans, um, if you want to say retaliated and they uh, disbanded the government accountability board uh, that took a law to do that. And then they created this Wisconsin Elections Commission, which the lawmakers felt would be, you know, fairer to them um, and maybe more easily controlled, if you will. But it didn't exactly turn out that way. I, I, I don't think from what I've seen, the bipartisan board has tried to act in a uh, in a cohesive way to come to agreements and to do uh, the best thing for the state and the elections. And. One more thing I want to mention of the work that they do is they oversee the voter rolls. Can you tell me if you if you know the details of the importance of overseeing the voter rolls? Well, I know that, uh, yes, you you need to have um, a central organization doing that if you, because people move around, right, and um, you, people die. And so you have a system, uh, this commission oversees the accuracy of the voter rolls. They also created something 
called uh, My Vote, which you can go into and check your polling place. It's mm-hmm. you know a website, and you can register. And also, uh, they also work with um, a consortium called Eric, which is more of a national group that states belong to, where they um, you can try to see. If, you know, if, 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 if I move out of state, presumably Eric would get some notice, I guess, from the post office or driver's information, and then the states can share this. So it's, it, it is a way for states to, to try to keep these roles accurate. I mean, it's, it's impossible to make them perfectly accurate because right. people are moving and dying and all, all the time. Uh, so that's, uh, that's one of the ways that they, they try to try to oversee right. the integrity of the voter rolls. Well, and I know the law can get really tricky on that and and the rules. And of course, it's really important. You can't vote if your name's not on the roll. We do have same day registration here in Wisconsin. But if someone's not prepared for that, right, that can impact people's ability to vote. So Absolutely. now now let's talk about Megan Wolf. What is happening right now with Megan? Well, um, as you noted, I think at the top of our conversation, when she was first appointed, she uh, was unanimously approved by the uh, Senate. So there was no controversy about her. In fact, um, I had found a, a statement from Scott Fitzgerald, who at that time was the uh, majority leader, mm-hmm. I believe. And the he basically said he found her very... Uh, capable, impressed with her uh, knowledge regarding her elections and her experience and all. So I find it somewhat interesting that now the Republicans have turned against her. If you if you want to, that looks, it looks like that's what's happening. Um, uh, when she was uh, roundly embraced during her uh, appointment um, four years ago. Now her term is up, uh, uh, expires July 1st. And so she has to go through this uh, reappointment process. So she's this administrator position isn't something where, you know, you, as you would expect, a civil servant who can hang on to their job and is nonpartisan and uh, fair down the middle. I mean, she is, but I'm saying that she has to come up for a reappointment. And that's where you get the political influence here is now it looks like they are, the Republicans uh, want to block her um, continuing in this job. And do you understand why? Has there been a clear articulation of why um, some Republicans are hesitant to reconfirm her as um, the head of the Elections Commission? Well, it, it surely points, com- comes back to uh, Donald Trump's um, allegations that our elections were not fair in Wisconsin and in other states, which is been um, proven false in the courts and in audits and um, even the own uh, legislative audit bureau found only a handful of fraudulent cases which um, you know is is normal in any election and um, certainly not enough to overturn Joe Biden's win here so it's um, you know it's it's a it's a byproduct of everything we saw going on here after the 2020 election where there were, all of these um, false claims about the election not being um, um, valid, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think what's sort of interesting is when you look at polling of, uh, you know, residents of Wisconsin, voters in Wisconsin, they believe overall that the election was fair and that there uh, that Joe Biden did win the uh, 2020 presidential election for the state of Wisconsin. But it's a handful of individuals uh, that are elected Republicans that are still promoting the fact that the election was stolen from Donald Trump when that's proven otherwise. Has there been any you, you think conversation about sort of the disconnect of, of the voices, which are you know numerous that they can you know, perhaps push back on her confirmation where it's really not based on what the elected individual, the, um, sorry, the voters believe or has been proven false. 
Yeah, I think what's interesting to me too is what about all those uh, races that were down ballot? I mean, how were they all <laughs> when many Republicans won seats? Um, mm-hmm. How were they uh, not compromised, but only the presidential race was? So, I, I mean, this is you know, look, this is a, a problem that's going on around the country among many Republicans, and that they have failed to stand up to Donald Trump and these. Uh, lies. I mean, there certainly have been some Republicans, but many have just gone along with it. And we definitely see it in Wisconsin as well. I mean, ProPublica, we thought that how interesting, too, that some of the key players in this decision over Megan Wolf's job are people that really um, uh, carried this idea that the election was stolen. And they include Robert Spindell, who is a member of the Wisconsin Elections Commission, was one of the 10 fake electors, the Republicans who met secretly in the Capitol in December 2014 and um, signed paperwork purporting to be the true electors, which was which was not correct. Anyway, he's on the commission, has signaled right. that he will vote against Megan Wolf. And he's been appointed uh, to be a member of the commission, someone that was one of the fake electors that uh, literally tried to overturn the election uh, and was part, you know, he wasn't part of the action specifically on January 6th, but that is part of what happened on January 6th to try and convince, you know, then Vice President Trump, uh, then Vice President Pence to overturn the election with these statements by the false electors, including Bob Spindell, now he's one of the leading voices against Megan Wolf. Yes, and Bob Spindell had been on the commission even before uh, December 2020 when he uh, took part as being one of those 10 fake electors. So yes, he's he's a member of the commission who will have a vote. He's one of those three Republicans. And so she will need... Um, at least one of the other uh, two Republicans on the commission to even carry her um, nomination or reappointment forward to the Senate. Um, But the prospects there, again, don't look good. The Senate president, Chris Kapenga, he is a Trump loyalist. And um, in the past, he had called on Megan Wolf to resign. And uh, so there you can see a very powerful position in opposition to her. And also one of the key committees in the Senate, the Elections Committee, is now chaired by Senator Dan Knodel, who signed a letter to Vice President Pence asking to delay certification of the 2020 election. So right there with Spindell, Kapenga, Knodel, you have these, basically these um, Trump loyalist slash election deniers who are in very, very key spots to decide uh, her professional fate. And again, this is a woman who is not a a lawyer. She's not a politician. Uh, This is her profession. Her career is election law, election administration. She'd been the deputy administrator um, prior to this. She'd run the IT system. I, I mean, she headed a national association of election systems. And uh, I'm not saying there's no one else certainly that can do this job. I'm just saying that um, uh, she has not been a partisan actor. And she made it clear in a letter to the clerks that um, she carries out the orders of the commission. Even Spindell and the commission chair, uh, another Republican, had said to me that they believe she'd been she's been treated unfairly by the lawmakers who blamed her for policy decisions made by the commission. So that last part there is just sort of striking because right in my notes, I'm like, and reading your article, I'm not seeing anyone identifying anything specific that she did that is making them question her integrity and her commitment to, you know, transparent, fair elections And yet she's still the person that is, on some level, it feels like she's the scapegoat. And uh, yeah, I believe certainly she she feels that way. In fact, she um, she says as much in her letter to the clerks. Um, You know, she basically says that 
it's clear that the legislators have fallen prey to false information about my work and the work of the agency. That's what she wrote in her letter uh, just last week to the 1900 or so clerks in the state, um, you know, basically saying that they have, um, whether they've fallen prey or whether they, you know, don't believe it in their heart, but they're using it as an excuse, you know, to maintain power. Um, by by blaming Megan for actions that the commission took, and again in uh, response to a pandemic, we could talk about some of the decisions they made. You know, one of the main issues that uh, came up, and also in the Gableman investigation, was the commission's decision not to send special voting deputies, which are basically poll workers, into nursing homes during the pandemic. Um, to help voters. So you remember at that time, nursing homes were not allowing family in. I mean, grandchildren were standing at windows, remember waving to their grandma right, in, right. in nursing homes. And so this commission um, decided that they would not send in these uh, these special voting deputies. They didn't want them to get sick. They didn't want them to give any COVID to the nursing home residents. Um, but the Republicans then later found that uh, they did find instances where some um, mentally incompetent people that had been ruled by the courts unable to vote had voted. And this it does raise questions about how that happened. Um, again, not enough to overturn elect an election, something the commission should definitely look at. Um, but they made, you know, they blamed Megan for this, saying that that was a violation of the law, that these special deputies should have gone into the nursing homes. I mean, you're really put between a rock and a hard place, aren't you, in making right. that kind of de decision? Very, very difficult. In the middle of a pandemic with no ground rules on, on how how this can be done there there what there were no rules or precedent you were deciding it in a moment's notice to execute a election that was as you told us at the top reminded us at the top of the hour was a month or less after a global pandemic began can you imagine i mean i wonder how many of these nursing homes would even have allowed those were those workers in and, i mean i, I right, you know for the safety. i don't know <laughs> We're talking right now with Megan Amatz. She is a reporter at ProPublica. We're talking about um, her latest article with uh, ProPublica on the Wisconsin Elections Commission and its leader, Megan Wolf, and whether she will be reappointed. Most likely not. We would love your questions or comments. What are your thoughts about the role of the Wisconsin Elections Commission and the work done by that commission and Megan Wolf? You can give us a call at area code 608 Two five six two zero zero one extension nine. We have Jay in the studio. We've got Jade in the studio. They are both ready for your calls. We have Mary Jo uh, manning the uh, the phones. Everyone's ready. You can join us on air, or you can pass a message on to me and Megan, and we're happy to answer your question however you want to present it. We would love to hear from you at area code six zero eight two five six two zero zero one extension nine. So. Megan, you've you've made a, a few references to um, the process. Can you let's take a step back and and really go through that again for uh, Megan Wolf to be reappointed uh, or for anyone? But let's start with Megan Wolf. What would the process be for her to be nominated and then to be confirmed? As I understand it, the commission will have to call a special meeting before uh, the end of this month. And again, the chairman, Don Millis, has indicated to me and other reporters that he intends to do that. Okay. And then the, the commission will take presumably take a vote. I guess someone would nominate Megan to stay in that position. They'd need a second, um, and then they would vote. I mean, there is a chance that someone could propose, someone on the commission could propose tabling this decision. Um, your listeners might remember a controversy from, oh, 
uh, how long ago was it when a, a, a person on the natural resources board mm. refused to leave. Refused to leave, yes. <laughs> term expired. And the Supreme Court, state Supreme Court ruled that uh, that was okay. He didn't have to, that by staying, overstaying, he, he did not create a vacancy that needed a new appointment. So there has been this theory that if Megan, if the commission didn't vote and she just kept on doing her work, that this Supreme Court has now ruled that that's okay. So let the chairman, though, of the Wisconsin Elections Commission has told me that he does not believe that that is a path that they should take because it would create even more um i guess disruption or concern about the um the impartiality of the commission so okay. so there was that sort of uh so that's an option they could do move that was considered they could do nothing is an option and in theory she might be able to stay past july 1st if they do nothing to uh recommend a new person to take her position. Yes, although Don Millis, again, the chairman told me we will definitely be sued if that happens. So (laughs) they're used to being sued. And uh, so um, so let's say, you know, they do take a vote on her. And and hold on a second, Megan, that they do take a vote on her. It is Wednesday, June 21st right now. We are talking about a a term that is up July 1st. And we don't even know if they're taking a vote yet. So in theory, based on the conversations that you've had with the um, chair of the um, Elections Commission board, they're going to be calling a meeting sometime next week, question mark? Or, or this week. Um, okay. Yes. And I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know how much public notice they need, whether it's 24 hours or 48 hours. They do need to give public notice. And, and when I checked... Um, this morning, I did not see any announcement of a meeting. That doesn't mean an announcement, you know, won't come Imminently, later right. today or tomorrow. Right. Okay. So they, they can they could move rather quickly on this. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. That's that's good to remember. Okay. So now, if they have the the uh, they do call a meeting this this week or next, which sounds like that's what's anticipated. What? could happen at the meeting you talked about someone could nominate megan uh megan wolf to continue serving uh as the head of the wisconsin elections commission and what would happen if that passed that she was nominated and then that passed then what is the process that happens next for confirmation then it her that goes to the senate uh the state senate and they would um they would consider her nomination and it's uh looks to me like it could be considered it could be assigned to be reviewed by the elections commission headed by senator jan canodal um and you know then there would need to be a vote out of that committee to the full senate i don't know if she'd get a public hearing or if there would be you know, debate within that committee. Um, I've also heard that there are parliamentary moves where they could maybe, you know, not even have a committee review. Uh, They could just go before the full Senate. So either way, she has a difficult path there because the, um, what the Senate has, 17 Republicans and 11, is that right? 11 Democrats. So it's overwhelming. I think that number, right, right. So if the Republicans collectively decide that they're not going to move forward this um, confirmation, then she will fail. So then what happens if she doesn't pass the the board? The board either doesn't move for her um, reappointment or they move in that that motion fails. Then does she automatically then lose the position as of uh June 31st and and then who right it it appears that way the commission would have to come up with another name and as I understand it they have 45 days from a vacancy to do that and then if they don't fill it then it goes to another special committee 
within the legislature that is made up of, I believe, um, Assembly Speaker Voss and Chris Kapenga. And then they pick those that committee chaired mm -hmm. by uh, those two Republican leaders picks the administrator of the Wisconsin Election Commission um, going going forward. They so it wouldn't even be that the Wisconsin is the Wisconsin elections. It's to their benefit, this commission to find the person that they believe they could work with and that they believe the clerks can work with, because otherwise you really risk very, very partisan actors in the legislature picking their own person. And um, again, we're talking about trust in our election system, and uh, that will be a serious situation here. Interesting irony that the decision not to support her is because they don't trust her. And yet the result could be it sows more distrust in the system by appointing someone uh, partisan. Uh, very interesting. Uh, we have a call coming in from Paul. Paul, thanks so much for waiting. You had a comment about the commission's performance. Yeah, I think the the commission has done the best that anybody could possibly expect uh, under the circumstances of the of the pandemic. And generally speaking, I mean, nobody ever congratulates the elections commission for doing a good job, even you know in previous years when there were no special circumstances. So, uh, it, but regarding Ms. Wolf, uh, I think that if she's decided to resign for the reasons that she stated, that uh, that you know that those are good reasons uh i, I don't it, perhaps she's just tired of uh being a punching bag uh it's uh you know we we know in wisconsin that the legislature is uh you know wants to do things with partisan uh, solutions mm. so uh you know it uh, if if i were her i would say okay did my time uh did is did the best I could. You guys are full of crap, and uh, I'm moving on. Well, so um, I mean that that's how administration works. I mean, some people don't want to stick around. Well, I, I appreciate your comments, Paul, and you made a a reference to something that I hadn't quite heard yet in this conversation about the potential of her resigning. Megan, is that a conversation that has come up in any level? No, as I understand it, Megan Wolf wants to stay in her position. She has uh, made it clear that um, if she's not selected, she will accept that, but that it will uh, be uh, difficult for Wisconsin because they will surely have a less experienced administrator at the helm. Give She's basically advocated for how experienced she is and um, that she wants to remain, although she's very clear mm -hmm. that it is the decision of her bosses, which are the three Republicans and three Democrats on the Elections Commission. And Megan, uh, Paul, thanks for your question, Paul. I really appreciate it or your comment. And I think Paul brings up a good point, which is, you know, we haven't gotten to yet on my notes, and now is the perfect time to talk about the fact that not only was this the best in dire circumstances, but I feel like democracy, right, was challenged in the 2020 election across the country, Wisconsin and beyond. We were in a pandemic. The election was being um, scrutinized at every level. There were more election deniers in the history of modern U.S. ever challenging systems that had been in place um, for years, uh, for decades. And with all that scrutiny, with all that intense, with that level of, you know, threat, a global pandemic, people's lives literally on the line, uh, this election turned out to be a huge success. We elected a president. We were over scrutinized, Wisconsin and the U.S. And when all the election deniers positions came to the forefront, they were, you know, refuted uh, soundly. Has there been any talk about that, Megan, of not only is it the opposite, that there's nothing, nothing wrong happening, but actually there's an incredible achievement we should be incredibly proud of? 
Oh, absolutely. The system withstood an incredible test. I mean, incredible. And obviously, a lot of that is to the credit of uh, Pence, who who did the right thing and uh, resisted the pressure, including threats to hang him. I mean, so um, yes, the system, the courts, the vice president, they uh, acted, uh, you know, in a way that really um, upheld our democracy. But again, the threat is not over, as you can see by the um, just this um, challenge to Megan Wolf's job that um, these kinds of, uh, you know, chess stresses on our system still exist. Um, I did, uh, my story quotes uh, a report by three election integrity groups looking at voter suppression efforts nationwide that concluded that in Wisconsin, the threat of election subversion had eased because we elected a Democratic governor again that can keep the Republican-controlled legislature in check. The governor is not an election denier, neither is the attorney general who, who won or the secretary of state. Um, but the, still, Wisconsin is a state to watch because of the legislature has this um, election subversion friendly, they called it, Republican um, majority in the Senate and the Assembly. So the threat isn't over. You just, uh, it's still there. And I mean, Megan, we're, we're having this conversation about the Wisconsin Elections Commission and about Megan Wolf, but maybe just as you're talking about the, the threat we almost have to take a, a a bigger look is really what this is just a moment where we're talking about the 2024 election and Wisconsin is one of the states where, right, the election results will come through our state. Uh, Wisconsin is one of the few remaining swing states uh, up for grabs in the country. And it feels like a power grab to make sure that the election turns out a predetermined way. Are there people that, I mean, that's a pretty paranoid and negative uh, assessment from me, but are there people that are articulating that? Because I think it's based in a lot of accuracy. Uh, interestingly, I just saw that um, one of the Madison publications, I'm sorry, I don't know which one just reported that there is a group called Keep Our Republican, Our Republic, Keep Our Republic, that has formed a Wisconsin Advisory Council. And it is trying to educate voters that um, our elections are safe, they are accurate, there is not rampant fraud. And these include, on this uh, council, include people like Tommy Thompson, Democrat Barbara Lawton, um, former Republican State Senator Kathy Bernier. So these are, it looks like there certainly are efforts, bipartisan efforts, to uh, help educate voters about our system um, and that it, it is secure and it is not fraudulent. Well, and what worries me is that this seems like a minor thing. Who's the head of the uh, Wisconsin Elections Commission? And it certainly isn't something that is on even the media's radar. Thank you so much to your reporting on this, Megan, and ProPublica for putting this uh, conversation out here. You know, the reason we're having this conversation today is because of the article that you wrote, Megan. Um, so thank you for that. And have you gotten responses from the community of why is this such a big deal? It's just one tiny little thing trying to understand the importance, not just of this position, but the the importance to push back and not give this extreme so anti-democratic faction control. Uh, well, again, this you're right. This is normally an obscure position, even an obscure agency, typically. Uh, but just because of the um, times that we're in, it uh, bears a lot of, of scrutiny and paying attention to. And again, I'm not saying that there could not be another very competent, impartial, um, knowledgeable person to hold that job. It's just that True. people need to make sure that, um, you know, that that's, that's what happens. Well, and if there's not a clear articulation of why the current knowledgeable, qualified, fair individual in the job uh, is being uh, pushed out of it, 
then that sows a little doubt that uh, someone with equal qualifications would be what 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 happens in her replacement. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's the concern. Well, Megan, it's been fantastic talking with you. Thank you so much for your reporting, for joining us today to um, give us more detail about the article. I hope everyone uh, finds the article and reads it uh, in ProPublica. But Megan, Megan O'Matz, uh, reporter with ProPublica, thank you so much for joining us today and talking to us about this. You're welcome. Thank you. I've enjoyed talking with you. It's been great talking with you. And again, everyone, that was Megan O'Matz. She is a reporter with ProPublica. She covers issues about Wisconsin. And we were talking today about uh, her article from last week on the Wisconsin Elections Commission and the potential reappointment or not reappointment of their head, Megan Wolf. And we're going to do a little transition here. Thank you again, Megan, for joining us. And today is make music madison it's a fabulous exciting day one day a year where the streets are literally filled with music um i think this is the 11th annual make music madison and we wanted to just mention that and and spend a few minutes of today's show talking about that we have elizabeth walsh on the line with us she is a wrt news intern but more importantly she's an intern with make music madison hello elizabeth hello Thanks so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Make Music Madison. What is it? Yeah. Make Music Madison is a day-long festival that has free shows all over Madison on June 21st every year. It's held on the summer solstice every year. This is the 11th year it's been done in Madison, but Make Music Day is an international event. It started in France and I think the 80s or 90s, it's a national holiday there, and then it's spread to a bunch of different countries all over the world, and now we have 21 chapters in Madison that host the event as well. What does that mean, 21 chapters in Madison? Does that mean 21 different locations? Yeah, there are 21 cities that have their own version of Make Music Madison, so I think there's like a Make Music Verona, and then one for just a bunch of different cities, so there are 21 cities in Madison that host their own um, day of the event. Or in Wisconsin, you mean? Or do- Yes, sorry, yeah, in Wisconsin. No. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> and yeah. talk to us about the origin. Why is it held on June 21st every year, if you know? Yeah, it's held on June 21st every year because that's the summer solstice, so the longest day of the year. So we start at 8 in the morning and we go till 9 p.m., and it's just supposed to be a way to get outside for the whole day and enjoy the wonderful solstice. And how in... Talk to us about us about the importance of having and listening to live music. It's a really great way to bring community members together. What's really special about Make Music Madison specifically is um, all of the events are free, so anyone can come. It's very accessible, and the slogan for Make Music Madison is played by anyone, enjoyed by everyone. So we wanted to give people who just like to make music for fun, uh, a chance to come and like play for a crowd. It's a really good opportunity to play a show at a very casual venue in your neighborhood with your friends. Um, and it's a really great way to bring neighborhoods and communities together. I mean, that's, you touched on part of the reason why I love Make Ma- Music Madison so much is that you have bands that are, you know, professional booking professional gigs throughout the city and the state and beyond. And right after them is a mom and pop duo, you know, playing on their instruments that they just play at home. And now you get to hear sort of their home concerts live on the street. It's it's just this fabulous celebration of music on every level of experience and expertise. Yeah, it's really special. It's really fun to get that mix and to give people an opportunity to play when they don't normally have that and then give community members an experience to hear music that they normally wouldn't otherwise. And Elizabeth, when when I was reviewing the performances for today, as I'm picking, right, as I go into my office after today's radio show and I'm going to stop by some Make Music Madison spots and listen to some music, um, I noticed something that perhaps I just didn't realize in the past. There are open mics 
What the heck is that? Does that mean that you and I can show up? Maybe we should make a plan to go to one of the open mics and start uh, playing some music. Tell me about those. Yeah, it sure does. Um, So there are people around the city who have very kindly offered to host open mics, which means that I could go, you could go, anyone listening could go. If you see a listing that says open mic, you can go. You can perform a little song. Um, It's open to everyone, um, which I think is also what's so great about Make Music Madison is that it really encourages a lot of community participation, which is so fun. Um, And it's so casual that you could just walk up to, like there are venues that are just people's porches. So people might be hosting an open mic on their porch and, I could swing by and, and play a little song if I wanted. And have the open mics been popular in the past? I'm so intrigued by that concept. I think that they are pretty popular. I think it's really fun, too, if you like let a group of friends know that you're hosting one and um, a lot of people can come by. Uh, I think they usually are pretty popular because I think people like to come see their friends perform and, and kind of see what's going on there. Elizabeth, tell us a little bit more about the logistics that go into making today the success that it is, uh, especially in your role as uh, an intern with Make Music Madison. Yeah, so we have this really great software um, that is specifically used for Make Music organizations. Um, And so you can sign up as a performer or you can sign up as a venue. And as a performer, you can say, like, Uh, If you're like a rock band, you would need electricity and an amp, and you can state all of your needs, and then we will match you with a venue that can meet those needs. So it's all electronic. It's really nice. You just sign up, tell us what you need, and we find a time and a venue that can um, meet your needs, and we get you all set up for a show. I'm going to save the phone number really fast. We might have time to fit in a caller or two. If you have any thoughts about Make Music Madison, have you heard any music yet today? Or perhaps you're performing in Make Music Madison either today or have in the past? Area code 608-256-2001, extension 9, if you want to join the conversation. Um, (laughs) Elizabeth. Talk to me about, are there any differences every, every, right? This is the 11th year. Every year, is it the same or do you try and build on them or, or have a different theme? What varies from year to year? Yeah, it definitely grows every year. Um, Our goal this year was to get 500 shows in Madison. Last year we were at 400. We um, are really excited because we got over 600 shows this year. So we exceeded our limit and kind of blew that out of the water, which is really exciting. Um, one thing that we focused on a lot this year was in the past, we've uh, not had a ton of performances that were like rap or hip hop or R&B. So we really wanted to expand on that. Our musician in residence this year, his name is Corey Whitmore. He is hosting a confluence down at Library Mall that goes, I think, from noon today until about 9 p.m. And that is all R&B, hip hop and rap artists, which is really exciting. So we've really built um in that genre and increased a lot there too talk to me about uh you said musician in residence is that something that make music madison has already always had or talk to me about that role yeah there is a musician in residence every year um so Corey whitmore is our uh, musician in residence this year he is an r&b artist and producer he's worked a lot around madison So they can put together a show of their own. Um, He's focusing a lot on R&B and hip hop um, and rap because that is where he primarily works. Um, And so that position is kind of like a great spokesperson for us. He's done a lot of like interviews and and press and talked like the Isthmus and gotten the word out a lot. And then he has been really able to grow uh, in the genres of rap and R&B and hip hop this year, which has been really exciting. Well, I really love the level of intentionality that, intentionally not just saying okay everyone come and make music but then realizing what you have and then also realizing what you don't have and trying to make growth what are uh, some other areas where um, make music madison is hoping to grow i think every year we're just hoping to get more shows and get more people involved um we are going to have a big meeting at the end of the month here and go over everything that we did and look at where we can improve next year. So I think the goal is just continue to grow and get more neighborhoods involved. That's always a thing we want to get further and further into the neighborhoods as well as just being in 
you know, business districts, it's really, really fun to have a show on your neighbor's porch or in your neighbor's backyard. And so I think that's um, a really interesting way to like grow is to get more involved in the communities as well. And how does it matter what day of the week it is? It's so it's June 21st always every yeah. year. So sometimes that's going to be on the weekends and sometimes it's like today, right smack dab in the middle of the, the week, uh, work week. How do you see any difference in the number of people attending or wanting to be a part of it, depending on what day of the week it is? Um, so this is my first year working for Make Music Madison, so I haven't been around when it's been on a weekend. I know that there's been talk about being um, ex- more excited when it's on a weekend because it's just a little bit easier, but um, I don't think it's like been hindering people because we have 600 shows today and it's on a yep. Wednesday and yep. attendance has been great. Um, so in like France, for example, it's a national holiday, so a lot of people take work off, um, which we don't necessarily have here. Um, there is kind of a funny little work slip that uh, Fox 47 put out saying um, <laughs> being sent into your employer saying you needed the day off. Um, but I think a lot of people, um, it didn't really matter that it was on a Wednesday. They were really excited to be a part of it. But it's also really fun because, like, a lot of people, I've been sticking pretty close around the Capitol today, and, like, a lot of people have been coming out on their lunch break to watch the performances, which is really fun. And since it goes from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m., um, there's a pretty good chance you'll be able to catch at least a couple shows. It looks like we have a quick caller that's joining us. Um, Paul, I don't know if it's the same Paul or another Paul, but it what is. are your thoughts? Oh, it's the same Paul. Hello. Welcome back, it's Paul. It's the same Paul. All I right. I across town, and I'm back in my neighborhood. I, on Williamson Street right now, there are two uh, ancient, rusty old trucks that have been uh, outfitted to be musical instruments. And they're right in front of the Cafe Coda. Yes. And uh, there are people in the street right now that are playing uh, these these instruments, <laughs> the drums and steel sculpture. And Hannah Taylor is honking away on his uh, saxophone. And there's there's a couple dozen people there. It's pretty pretty amazing. That's fabulous. Thank you for that report. Um, and Hannah Taylor, he's the owner of uh, Cafe Coda, and I, I got to see him at Jazz Fest this weekend, also also free, and that was at the Wisconsin Union. Uh, but the fact that right there he was playing on the stage at Jazz Fest, and now you can find him in the streets of Willie, um, pretty fabulous to have that variety. Uh, Elizabeth, in our final moment here with you, I actually think when we were talking about the weekend versus the weekday, that there's something sort of special about this not being on the weekend. Usually on the weekday, right, you do your job, you go home, you have dinner, you say hello to your, you know, significant other, you go to sleep. And to have reasons to make this day special just feels all the more exciting to me. I agree. And I think it's a fun way to recognize the solstice as well. If you're working, that can be a day that kind of slips by when it should really be a day to like go outside and enjoy all the light. And so I think it's a very intentional way to get people outside. And it's a super fun way to kind of shake up your week if you don't have anything else going on. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's been fabulous talking with you. Thank you so much, um, Elizabeth Walsh, uh, Wart News intern and an intern with Making Music Madison. Thanks for joining us and really reporting live from the scene of what's going on uh, out there in Madison. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking with you again. That was Elizabeth Walsh, um, an intern with Make Music Madison. And today is Make Music Madison. So please go out there and hear some great free live music. And also thanks to Megan Omatz uh, for the first half of the show. Thanks to Jay for engineering, Jade for producing, Sholly, our news director, uh, Mary Jo for staffing the phones. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you again next week. This is WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Live and direct, we come and never pre-recorded With information that would never be reported Disregard the mainstream, media distorted We come and listen and support it Live and direct, we come and never pre-recorded With information that would never be reported Disregard the mainstream, media distorted